Welcome to the Grace Point Church Podcast. Here at Grace Point Church, we believe in meeting people where they are and leading them to where God wants them to be. Join us now as we listen to this week's message. Who remembers what they were doing in 2005? Doesn't 2005 feel just like a few years ago? Well, if you remember back in 2005, there were no smartphones yet. There were no tablets. This was the extent of our technology. And yes, this is my classic third-gen iPod. And you know what? I remember spending so many hours in front of my computer just on iTunes, just uploading all of the CDs that I bought over the years from Target, from Sam Goody, from Musicland, from Tower Records, and just uploading and converting them to MP3s so that, you know, I can just upload it on this bad boy here. You know, just wanted to get uh, right, you know, the right way, you know? And so, yeah, you could carry it in your pocket. And so, random aside, does anyone remember what the number one song was in 2005? Well, I'll tell you, the number one song that year was We Belong Together by by Mariah Carey. And yes, I had that on here. Well, 2005 was actually a big year for me. 2005 was the year that I finally graduated college. Shout out to my parents for putting up with me. And later on that summer, uh, we actually um, took the time to take an extended family vacation Uh, And we took a seven-day cruise to the Caribbean. And so, man, you know, like, it was one of my favorite trips of all time. So many things happened during that time. And it was probably one of the last times that we all got together um, as an extended family. But later on after uh, that cruise, because I was burnt out from school, just being in school for around 20 years, I decided that I needed to take a break before entering the workforce. And so what does a fresh out of college homebody do? He signs up for Netflix. And yes, Netflix of 2005 was not like the Netflix of today. Like nowadays, all you have to do is if you want to play something on Netflix, all you got to do is just uh, choose the TV show or choose the movie that you want to play and just press play. And it plays in HD. But back then, I actually had to wait for DVDs to arrive in the mail before I can watch it or, in my case, burn it and then send it back. And then they would send me the next DVD on my list. So why am I talking about Netflix well, one of, the, one of my favorite movies that I've ever watched was, you guessed it, Batman Begins. And for those of you who've never watched Batman Begins or maybe need a, a refresher, Batman Begins is the origin story of how Bruce Wayne become, became Batman. And so um, today we'll be focusing on Bruce Wayne's journey um, as a young boy. And so for those of you who have not watched the film, the beginning of the film is uh, tragic. So Bruce Wayne, as a little boy, is afraid of bats. And so he goes to an opera with his parents and, you know, bats actually appear on stage. And so he gets scared. And so what does he do? He asks his parents, hey, can we leave 
I want to leave early. I want to get out of here. And so his parents are kind and like, all right, let's go. You know, we've had enough opera for one night. And so they leave early and then they leave in a dark alley. And then that's where tragedy hits. And that's where Bruce Wayne's parents get shot, killed. And Bruce Wayne is there all by himself, blaming himself. And he becomes lost. So why am I talking about the lost son of Gotham today? Well, there is actually a lost son in the Bible. And the lost son is also referred to as the prodigal son. Now, in Luke chapter 15, uh, Jesus is actually telling three straight parables. Uh, The first two were great. The first two, uh, the first one was the parable of the lost sheep. And the second one was the parable of the lost coin. But like Toy Story 3 and Lord of the Rings Return of the King, the third installment of the parables was my favorite. And the reason why I call it the parable trilogy is because they they all had the same theme. And that was that something important was lost. And so one thing to note that's important for all uh, three of these parables is the audience. In the audience, Jesus is telling this story to, what, churchgoers? Was he telling it to law-abiding citizens? Actually, no. He was actually telling the story to probably the worst sinners, criminals, and the worst of the worst, tax collectors. And so the reason why, or actually there's two reasons why I identify with the prodigal son. First, I truly believe, and this is a theory of mine, that the prodigal son, just like Bruce Wayne, is an introvert like myself. Any introverts in the house today? Yes. All right, cool. (laughs) And so the second reason why I identify with the prodigal son is that his journey mirrors my own. And so um, today we will actually be uh, delving into the, uh, into the uh, book of Luke. And, uh, and t- if you do have your Bibles, turn with me to uh, Luke chapter 15. And it's, so if you, if you do have your uh, Bible apps, it's a third book of the Bible in the uh, New Testament. And so we're going to be in Luke chapter 15, verse 11. And it starts off like this. To illustrate the point further, and remember that this is the third story in a row with the same theme. Something is lost. And and he really wanted to make sure that the people in the audience, all the criminals, all the sinners, knew how important and understood why this was, uh, how important this was. And so it continues on in verse 11. says, Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. In verse 12, it continues, The younger son told his father, I want my share of the estate now before you die. Basically, the son is saying, I don't want to wait till you die later, but I wish you were dead now. Wow. So what did his father do? Did he raise a big stink? Actually, no. It continues on in verse 12. It says, So his father agreed to divide his wealth uh, between his sons. Wow. You know, if that were me, if that were my child, 
let's just say things would escalate. Because I know <laughs> for a fact that I wouldn't be that agreeable to just give away my inheritance, especially since I'm still alive. But this father was different. In verse 13, he continues, a few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land, and there he wasted all of his money in wild living. In reading verse 13, tell me why I'm picturing the prodigal son in the Biblical Times version of Las Vegas. Is anyone, does anyone get that, um, that vibe as well? I mean, I feel like, I mean, he probably went from, from tent to tent going clubbing. He was probably buying some sheep herders, daughters some drinks, probably spending all of his money on, on probably the latest Gucci robes, Louis Vuitton satchels, and probably blowing all of his money on camel races. And actually, this is where uh, my, uh, and this is where I get the idea of my theory that the prodigal son is an introvert. Because I think that when he was spending all of his money and all of his time just having a good time, I feel like at the end of every night, he was probably just going home by himself, alone, both physically and emotionally. In verse 14, it continues, about the, t uh, about the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land, and he began to starve. Wow. First, the prodigal son runs out of money. And then a famine hits. And now he's starving. Things just went from bad to worse in a hurry, didn't they? And earlier I mentioned why I identified with the prodigal son, and it was because his journey mirrors my own. And so, you know, I grew up in a family uh, that believed in God. And, uh, and I also believe, or actually went to church every week. And, uh, you know, like I got to that age where, um, I got to that age where, you know, I graduated uh, high school, I graduated college, and, you know, I thought I knew everything when I entered my early to mid-20s. And, you know, like I, I you know, I thought I knew everything, but I really didn't. Really, my pride, it was my pride that was making me think that I knew everything. And so, 2005 is significant in my life for another reason. And 2005 was the year that I walked away from church. The year that I walked away from God. Like the father, uh, like the prodigal son walked away from his father. 2006, uh, the following year, uh, was the first time that I experienced the concept of loss. And, you know, you may think, it's like, oh, man, you're 25, first time you're experiencing losing someone. You're actually pretty lucky, and I actually was. But losing my grandfather hit me as hard as anyone else in the family. And, uh, you know, I probably didn't grieve properly. I didn't, I didn't um, confront my, my emotions properly in a positive way. 
and I ne started neglecting other things. And one of those things that I started neglecting was my, was my health. And so later on that year, I started having to deal with pretty serious medical issues that I'm actually still dealing with today. And so this was my bad to worst moment. And so, you know, during that time, I probably heard the prodigal son story a dozen times, but I never understood the message behind it. You know, I, I had to learn the hard way. And so, there are three things that I want to share with you today during my personal journey that I learned. And the first thing was to trust the process. And no, I don't mean Joel Embiid, whose nickname is The Process, but to trust the process, meaning that the process is never-ending. It's ongoing. You know, I didn't understand that there's a, there's a learning opportunity in every situation. Um, you, know, uh, you know, I didn't take the time to properly grieve. I didn't take the time to actually, you know, try to figure out what I needed to do to to you know, get myself better when I was going through my medical issues, and this just made me slip further into a rut. But you would think that going through loss, the loss of my grandfather, and uh, going through medical issues would actually you know, wake me up. But no, actually I was in denial. And uh, you know, I used work as a distraction. Heck, I used Netflix as a, as a distraction. And you know what, I did not Trust the process. And you know what? I don't believe the prodigal son trusted the process either. You know, like if you go back to, you know, before he left, you know, he was asking for his inheritance. You know, he was wishing that his dad was dead, walking away from his family, his friends, and his country. He left his country. And you might want to just think, like, what was he, what was he thinking? What was he... You know, what was going through his mind? I mean, did he feel neglected? Was he drifting away from his family? There must have been something he was internalizing that made him want to leave everything behind. Have you been in a point in your life where you felt like this? Where you internalize things and things get worse and you feel like you just want to walk away from everything and everyone? Now back to uh, the prodigal son situation as a reminder. So he ran out of money and now a famine's hit and he's, he's starving. And so it continues on in verse 15. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him and the man sent him into the fields to feed the pigs. So even when things were bleak, Jesus took the time to insert a nondescript supporting character in the form of a local farmer. I mean, you, you just gloss over that. But Jesus sent a local farmer in his path. And I don't believe it was an accident that when the prodigal son isolated himself from everything and everyone, Jesus took the time to place someone in his life to help him out. And that's when I learned the second thing during my personal journey and that was to trust in people. 
You know, looking back, and I didn't know it before at that time because I was far away from God, but I know now, because I mean, hindsight is twenty twenty, that God put certain people in my life during that time to get me through tough situations. And it's because I know that God knows that I like to internalize everything. I like to overanalyze things. I like to overthink things. I like to be in my own headspace and, and not ask people for help. And so I know that God put certain people in my life just for that season to help me get through all that. And what's mind-blowing is that some of those people that he sent in my life aren't even in my life today. Some of you are here today because God put someone in your life to get you here today. In verse 16, it continues. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him. And this is where the prodigal son hits rock bottom. You know, back then in Jewish culture and even Jewish culture today, the pig represented the ultimate degradation. I mean, the pig is probably one of the most unclean creatures. Uh, and it's for the prodigal son to be so hungry that he is even considering eating the things that, you know, just fatten pigs. And, and even some of the poorest of the poor wouldn't even consider eating. You knew he was hungry. And so verse 16 continues, but no one gave him anything. And this is where Jesus emphasizes that the prodigal son is alone, with no help, no one to FaceTime, and pretty much he's been blocked from every social media platform, including Twitter, Snapchat, Instagram, and Facebook. So back to uh, Bruce Wayne and his journey. In the movie, Bruce Wayne is, uh, is actually returning from college, returning home, and he actually drops out of college just, for the, uh, just to attend the trial uh, for Joe Chill. That's the guy who ended up killing his parents. And it, he's shown getting ready to, with motives, to, you know, to want to get revenge and to kill uh, Joe Chill after the trial. And so after the trial, Joe Chill is like being surrounded by a bunch of reporters and he's getting a position. He's getting his gun ready to go. But as he was ready to get that trigger ready to go someone actually beats him to it and actually kills joe chill right in front of him and i would imagine if i were bruce wayne i'd be going through conflicted emotions one you know you're probably happy and relieved that the guy that killed your parents is dead but two i mean he's got to feel pretty empty inside that he wasn't really the one that pulled the trigger and so this, I believe, is where Bruce Wayne, like the prodigal son, has hit rock bottom. And you know what? There's good news. Once you hit rock bottom, in every comeback story, there's only one way to go, and that's up. And so in the next film, actually, in the Dark Knight trilogy, uh, Dark Knight, in the Dark Knight, there's actually this quote that applies to hitting rock bottom. And the quote goes like this, the night is darkest just before the dawn, and I promise you, the dawn is coming. And you know what? For the prodigal son, Jesus was setting up 
his dawn. In verse 17, it continues, when he finally came to his senses. Wow, there's so much going on in just that one phrase alone. When he finally came to his senses. First, he says finally, and prodigal son probably went through each option before, you know, he came to his senses. He was probably just so stubborn that he just went through every option. Haven't we all done that? Because I know I have. And it just prolongs the whole process, doesn't it? Sometimes it even makes it worse. And then he finally comes to his senses. And sometimes it just hits us. You know, we wake up and an idea hits us or we just ask for help. And you know what? Oftentimes when we finally come to our senses, it's because our pride and ego finally gets stripped away where we can actually, like, pay attention to what's going on around us, and that's when we come to our senses. And so in verse 17, it continues, he said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare, and here I am dying of hunger. This is where the prodigal son realizes how good even the servants had it. It's interesting how we, like the prodigal son, change our perspective once we hit rock bottom. Speaking of rock bottom, after Bruce Wayne hits rock bottom, the very next scene, he's in a car with uh, his best friend, Rachel. And Rachel's trying to console him. He's trying to, she's trying to tell him that, hey, you know what? Look beyond your grief. Look beyond your anguish. Look around you. Gotham City is rotting. And a defiant Bruce Wayne is just not having it. He's just stubborn. He's not even listening. And so later on in the scene, Bruce Wayne is shown uh, just actually revealing the gun and admitting to Rachel that he was planning on killing Joe Chill himself. And that's when Rachel, like a good friend, slaps him not only once, but he slaps him twice. And re-watching this film just for this message, I truly believe that that was the catalyst that set Bruce Wayne off on his redemption to train and ultimately become Batman and obviously save Gotham City. Hey, you guys, you guys should watch it. In verses 18 and 19, it continues. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you. And I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. Do you remember those times when you used to test your parents? Because as an only child, I definitely do. And all, all the only children in the audience know that when you test your parents, you get 100% of the whooping. But there are times when I would screw up and I would actually feel bad about it, well, just sometimes, and enough where I wanted to, like, offer my services. I'm like, hey, can I clean the house? Uh, can I, I don't know, mow the lawn? Can I do some yard work? You know what? I wanted to earn my way back, and you know what? I've, I believe that the prodigal son felt the same way, but magnified just exponentially. I mean, he was thinking he was not worthy to be his son again. He was willing to take a position as a hired servant just so that he could earn his father's way back. 
We do the same thing with God, don't we? We want to turn to God, but we think we're not good enough. We want to turn to God, but he won't take us as we are. And we want to turn to God, but we think we have to earn our way back. You know, um, in 2011, uh, I was actually... Actually, the year before, I ended up hitting rock bottom, and that's another story for another time. But in 2011, I had already decided that I needed to make some changes in my life. I was, you know, sleeping earlier. I was just concentrating on going to work, just kind of doing my thing, and just making small changes, baby, taking baby steps just to um, just improve my lifestyle. And in 2011, and I have this conversation, my, this phone conversation actually with my Auntie Shirley, and my Auntie Shirley is here today. I'm glad she's here. And what's weird is that we never talk on the phone. We really don't. But for whatever reason, that day, or that night, I should say, we were talking, and, uh, and we just had this random conversation about how, you know, she was just sharing her personal journey and how she had been struggling with her relationship with God and the relationship with church. And for me, back in 2011, I thought that that was eye-opening. You know, I always thought that the older generation, whether it was my parents, my uncles and aunts, my grandparents, were always strong with their relationship with God. And so I shared my own struggles, my own you know, like my own personal journey with my aunt. And fast forward through the nearly one hour conversation that we had, it ended with her inviting me to church because she was starting to attend a church that she was finally feeling inspired. And she was actually getting something out of it. And, you know, my old self, if it was probably even like two or three years earlier, I probably would have brushed off that invitation. I'd be like, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll go and never really go. But since th during that time, since I was already in the process of trying to find something, but I didn't know what I was looking for, I actually took her up on that offer, and I did go to church. It took a couple of weeks, but I ended up going. And I know for sure that that phone conversation didn't happen by chance. And that's when I learned the third and final thing during my personal journey, and that was to trust in God. You know, one of my favorite things about Batman Begins are the quotable lines. My favorite was actually said twice during the movie. And uh, this quote is uh, as such, and I'll throw it up uh, on the screens up front. It says, why do we fall so that we can learn to pick ourselves up. And you know, you hear that quote and you read it and you're like, oh man, that's an inspirational quote, isn't it? But preparing for this message, I realized there were a couple of flaws with this quote. The first flaw is just in the way the, the, the quote is structured. I mean, it's inferred that we, we need to learn to pick ourselves up without any help. But you know what? That's unnatural for us because we were meant to have companions, even going back to the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve. We were meant to be a part of a community so that if we needed help, we can ask for it. We can, we can actually depend on people. 
And one of the things that I love about my church here at Grace Point is that I can be myself, tell my bad jokes, and people will laugh, you know? Because I know they have my back even if I need, you know, if, if, even if I need their help. And so the other flaw is, uh, the other flaw in the quote is in the question itself. Why do we fall? The question shouldn't be, why do we fall? The better question should be, what do we do when we fall? So what do we do when we fall? When we fall, trust God above all. You know, the prodigal son and the younger son's portion of the story um, starts to kind of wind down in verse 20. And in verse 20, it says, so he returned home to his father. And while he was still a long way off, and I mean, was his father like tending, out tending the cattle? Was his, out, uh, was his father out fishing? Was his father out taking a nap? You know, like my dad, you know, he takes naps. Actually, no. This father saw him coming. And why was that? Well, it's because the father's love will always find the son. Verse 20 continues, filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. And I just want to point out the importance of this because... You know, the father does not wait. He doesn't wait for his son to get to the house. He doesn't wait for his son to come up to him to apologize and beg for forgiveness. No. Once he sees his son off in the distance, he runs toward his son. He embraces and kisses his son, even though his son is filthy. And you might be asking, why should any of this matter to me? Well, it's because if you are far from God, if you feel like you're not good enough, and if you feel like God isn't paying attention to you, then you need to know this. Like the prodigal son's father, your heavenly father is constantly looking out in the distance for you. And what will your heavenly father do when he sees you? He's going to run towards you. He's going to embrace you regardless of what you've done, regardless of what mistakes you've made, regardless of how broken you feel. And there will be tears of joy as he proclaims in verse 24, for this son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. You know, I want to thank Dino for leading us out and singing Amazing Grace, My Chains Are Gone. And you know, the, the end of the first verse of the song and the end of Luke chapter 15, verse 24, always gets to me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. It's such a simple concept, but it's powerful, isn't it? If Jesus took the time to tell three stories in a row to criminals, to sinners, and the lowest of the low, this shows us how important we all are in his eyes today in 2018 and beyond. No matter where you are in your personal journey, 
if you're in the middle, if you're off and on, if you're just getting started, or nowhere near the beginning, you're off in the tall weeds, know this. Once you've made that decision to walk towards him, he'll be there looking out on the horizon, looking for you. And once you've made that decision to place your faith and trust in him, your heavenly father, who is filled with love and compassion for you, will run towards you and accept you for who you are and as you are with open arms. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. Grace Point Church is located in South San Francisco, California. For more information, look us up online at www.wearegracepoint.com.